You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, Okay, so this is my spoiler alert for Red, White, and Royal Blue, the new gay rom-com streaming on Amazon Prime. If you don't want to know whether Alex, son of the American president, played by the impossibly hot Taylor Zakhar Perez, winds up fucking Prince Henry, grandson of the King of England, and second in line to the English throne, played by the impossibly hot Nicholas Galitzine, you're going to want to skip this week's intro. All right? Here we go. Okay, so Alex and Henry wind up fucking a lot. They also fall in love, which, spoiler alert for the red, white, and royal blue trailer, is all right there in the red, white, and royal blue trailer. Like all romantic comedies, the question wasn't whether these two impossibly hot leads would get together, but how soon they would get together and what obstacles they would have to overcome to be with each other. And if your mom is the president of the United States, played by Uma Thurman, and your boyfriend is second in line for the throne of England, if he is the spare, and his grandfather is the king of England, played by Stephen Fry, it turns out there are a lot of obstacles. There's also Rachel Maddow. She's in this movie quite a lot, which is almost as jarring as Uma Thurman's attempt at a Texas Southern drawl. All right, so there's been a lot of commentary about the way gay sex is portrayed in this film and how realistic it is and how shocked some viewers were to learn that gay men can have anal intercourse in the missionary position. Yes, we can. I wanted to share with you what I thought about the sex in red, white, and royal blue. All right. There are definitely some niche gay fetish community serving moments in this film. Fans of Gunge will enjoy Alex and Henry's meet cute moment or their re-meet hostile moment. It involves the two of them rolling around on the floor in a palace covered in buttercream. And there's a long lingering shot of Alex and Prince Henry on a couch together with their feet up, a shot with all four of their feet in it that goes on forever. The clip was circulating on gay foot fetish Twitter within an hour of the film being released last Friday night. And yes, I checked. Prince Henry is Gay, 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 gay. But Alex, although he's messed around with a couple of guys, has mostly slept with girls and is only just beginning to understand himself as bisexual. Alex kind of proves his bisexuality the first time he and Prince Henry have sex. Alex accepts a blowjob from Prince Henry and makes no effort to reciprocate. He doesn't seem the least bit curious about whether Prince Henry has a dick or might want to get off too. So their sexual relationship starts with something that characterizes a lot of sexual relationships between young opposite sex, AKA straight partners an orgasm gap, which leaves you wondering about all the women Alex slept with before Prince Henry came along to Alex's credit. He quickly closes the orgasm gap. The next time they get together, Alex sucks Prince Henry off after a polo match. So Alex is clearly into that sweaty Royal Dick, but the sex scene that a lot of people are talking about is the anal sex scene. The first time Alex, first son, and Henry, second prince, have anal sex and how realistic the portrayal of it is. Matthew Lopez, the film's director, has mentioned in multiple interviews about wanting to nail the moment of insertion. And I gotta say, 
to Lopez's credit, they nailed it. But I thought they nailed something equally as important or more important. Not the moment of insertion, but the moment before, the moment of negotiation. Here's Prince Henry asking first son Alex in their hotel room in Paris with the Eiffel Tower shimmering outside the window if he wants to fuck. I think we should make love tonight. Oh, I'm, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm down. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't make love anymore? We're going to like listen to Lana Del Rey when we do it? All right, all right. <laughs> It's just, who's going to do what? Because I'm, I've never, <laughs> oh my God, I am so not playing this cool right now. <laughs> I went to an English boarding school, dear. Trust me, you're in good hands. First, a quibble. They've been having a lot of oral sex up to this point. They weren't frosting each other's tonsils that whole time. They were making love. To elevate genitally penetrative sex, anal or vaginal intercourse, above all other kinds of sex, to frame that, PIV or PIA, as making love and dismiss everything else as just messing around, that's not how most gay men understand sex or conduct their sex lives. That is a straight thing. And it's a straight thing that does real damage to straight people's sex lives, as we've talked about on the show before. But what I loved... What really blew my mind, what I hadn't seen in a film of this kind before, was something so true to the gay experience. The conversation didn't end with consent. Prince Henry said, I want to make love. Alex wants to, too. The conversation doesn't stop. Because what's going to happen next? Who's going to fuck who when it's two men getting together for the first time can't be assumed? The answer to do you want to make love wasn't Yes, or just yes, or fuck yes, in Alex's case. It was, what do you mean by that? Who's gonna fuck who? It's unclear from the clip I just played, who's gonna fuck who? Prince Henry says he went to an English boarding school, so Alex is in good hands. But what does that mean exactly? Is the prince gonna fuck the first son? Or does that mean the first son is gonna fuck the prince? Who is doing the inserting? I am not gonna spoil that. You will have to watch red, white, and royal blue to find out who bottoms. I'm going to lay my cards on the table. It's a schmaltzy rom-com, not my usual film preference, but I kind of, sort of, not so secretly, because I'm saying it here on the Lovecast, loved this movie. It's a coming out story. We see Alex come out to his mom and get the reaction every queer kid hopes to get and deserves to get. Love and support, but also parenting. Mom asks Alex if he and Henry are having anal sex, if they're using protection, and talks to Alex about getting on prep. Prince Henry's family, mm, they have the reaction you might expect the British royal family to have. The reaction the British royal family is probably going to have when, at some point, seems almost inevitable, someone in line for the throne eventually comes out of the closet. I'm not going to tell you how that resolves for that, you will have to watch Red, White, and Royal Blue. 
All right, speaking of films that span the spectrum of realistic to highly stylized portrayals of sexual activity, check out the new streaming library at Hump along with the new Hump Hardcore Collection and get tickets to see Hump screenings coming soon to a theater near you. See porn in a theater full of strangers the way God intended us to watch porn. The fall tour kicks off in September. And, of course, now is the time for you to step in front of the camera. Submissions are open for Hump 2024. Go to humpfilmfest.com slash submit to find out how you can get your movie into the Hump Film Festival. All right, coming up on today's show on the Micro Savage Lovecast, tons of your cues, lots of my A's. Also joining me on the Micro, Dr. Ina Park returns to talk about urea plasma. Yes, there is another STI out there that we all need to worry about. And joining me on the Magnum, Shalaluyah, a spicy voice actor and Twitch streamer, joins me to talk about being famous on the internet for reading dirty stories in his very sexy voice. And yes, it is how he pays the bills. Dr. Ina Park, your questions, Shalaluyah, all that coming up on today's show. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Dipsy. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. Get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com savage. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Foria. Foria crafts 100% all-natural sexual wellness products so you can experience deeper intimacy and transcendent moments of sexual pleasure solo or with your partner or partners. Get 20% off your first order by visiting foriawellness.com slash savage. That's F-O-R-I-A wellness.com forward slash savage. This episode of The Lovecast is brought to you by the good folks at Squarespace. They make it easy to build a beautiful website, blog, or online store. Head on over to squarespace.com slash savage for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SAVAGE to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hi, Dan. My partner and I are having some disputes about finances as we begin the process of moving in together. We've been together for about a year. The situation is that I will be living with him part-time as I begin a master's program in a city a few hours away. So I'll be at his place weekends and holidays and over the summers for the next two years. I thankfully am in a fully funded program that gives me a small stipend, which will just about cover my other apartment and expenses. He owns his house, which his parents gave him the money to buy, and he pays them about $300 a month to slowly start paying them back. I've agreed to split the cost of monthly utilities on his place in addition to my apartment near my university. My partner works hard and runs a small business and is doing really well at the moment. But his parents also have a small trust fund for him, and he receives around $15,000 a year from that. The house needs a bit of work, and he's not been super keen on upkeep in the past, so there's a lot that needs to be done, including the kitchen. He's asked me to take a lead on organizing the renovation, which I'm happy to do. Now he wants me to contribute half the cost of these renovations, and I don't feel quite comfortable about that, as doing so would draw down my savings, which is all the money and assets that I have in the world. I come from a really poor family, doesn't own any property, and I won't inherit anything when my parents die. I'm on a super tight budget right now at the moment, and... He stands to inherit multiple million-dollar homes eventually. I want an equal partnership, 
but I feel that the situation is an inherently unequal one to begin with. If we break up, I'm the one who will have to leave his house, and I won't get anything. I'm happy to put my time and labor into making his house comfortable for both of us, but there's something that feels strange about investing in his property in this way. Please tell me if I'm totally off base here. You're on base. What he's asking is unreasonable. In addition to asking you to do the work, even though you're away at school full-time right now, he wants you to do the work of organizing this renovation, which is sweat equity. He's asking you to plow in some actual equity equity to pay for the new kitchen, to increase the value of the home that he owns without you owning any part of that home. Uh, fuck no. No, just fuck no to that. That's what I would say to him. If he were my boyfriend, I would say, yeah, fuck no. I'm from a poor family. My parents didn't buy me a house. I have more than $300 a month in expenses right now. Even that you're being asked to split utilities with somebody who's paying only $300 a month for the home that they own that mommy and daddy bought for them is a little fucked up. Frankly, that seems like the kind of generosity that he in his position should be willing to sort of spread around a little bit that his girlfriend might benefit from the generosity that his parents showed him in buying him this house by, you know, not having to help pay for the utilities. But certainly if he wants you to contribute financially to the house to help pay for a kitchen renovation that you are also expected to organize, then he needs to sign 25% of that house over to you or whatever percentage square footage wise that kitchen represents. If you want to help as the good and loving girlfriend, because being with him means, you know, half the utilities for this house. It must be also a deal for you to have this place to live in for the summers and weekends and vacations too. If that seems reasonable to you as a contribution to running the household, go for it. If I were in his position, I wouldn't ask you to make that contribution, but not completely unreasonable for him to ask, but this is an unreasonable ask for you to invest your savings in increasing the value of this asset that was purchased for him by his parents without any guarantee that if the relationship should end or if he should drop the fuck dead while you're still together and you're not his spouse and the house isn't being left to you or in your name, unreasonable. Just say no. Okay, Dan. So I just had a nice evening with a nice man and I asked him if he would wear a condom for me and he said yes. So I gave him a little package and then before we started I said did you did you get it on and he said yes but this morning I can't find oil or the condom in my apartment and I I, I wonder if he tricked me you know and sometimes it happens more than you might imagine that a boy will just trick you like that and just not put it on and that's very like disconcerting and Actually, in court, in Canada at least, I don't know what the States is like, but that's sexual assault if you consent to sex with a condom and they don't put it on, then that's sexual assault whether you get an STI or not. So I, I just was wondering if that would be a topic he might broach and like just let people know that 
that is a really wrong thing to do if, if you trick someone like that. I don't know if I was tricked. He might have disposed of it in a different way. I don't know. Like, there's no way for me to know that. So I'm settled this morning because of that. You know, there is a way for you to know whether or not he put the condom on, and that's to get in a time machine. And when you ask him, did you put the condom on, to take a look at his dick and make sure the condom is on his dick. I, I agree that it's not okay. It's actually a crime in Canada and some other places. It's called rape by deception, which is a topic that came up recently in Savage Love. My column, stealthing, some people call this practice where people either say they've got a condom on or remove a condom during intercourse, the stealth move of removing the condom during intercourse. But I agree, it, it, it's not okay. It, it, it's sexual assault and it should be classed everywhere as sexual assault. To tell someone that you are using protection to get their consent on the condition that you use that protection and then to not use that protection, not okay. Very disconcerting, very upsetting. And I've been there. It's, it was life and death stakes for me when I was a young gay man in the 80s and 90s. And if somebody removed a condom during intercourse or a condom broker fell off, which is also a thing that can happen, you could die in 18 months to 24 months. It was not some abstraction. You were walking around all day long in gay neighborhoods watching other guys die because they had unprotected sex or they had what they thought was protected sex and a condom leaked, broke, tore, or was taken off by a malicious actor, which is why we all checked. If it would disconcert us to know that the condom wasn't there or the condom fell off, we were constantly getting visual and tactile confirmation during intercourse that the condom was on the dick. So you handed him the condom. He told you he put it on. Did you not take a look at his dick? Were the lights off? Were you blindfolded? During intercourse, while I was getting fucked back before prep was a thing, while I was getting fucked, when men had their dicks in my ass, my hand would drift down every once in a while during sex just to have a feel and make sure that condom was still there. You shouldn't have to do any of this, right? But because some people are bad actors, because stealthing is a thing, because sometimes we have sex with people that we don't know if we can trust and sex is a terrible time to find out that actually you can't trust this person. But sometimes that's when you find out you gotta, you gotta look, you gotta check. Now, there was no condom in your apartment after you guys had sex. Where could the condom have gone? Well, if you guys were making out and he still had his pants on while he was taking the condom out, he may have, as a courtesy, not thrown the foil on the floor, but slipped it into his back pocket. And just as you're not sure whether you can trust this guy, this guy might not be sure he can trust you. There are some, I think they're much more urban legend than many people's lived realities, but there are stories that circulate about women fishing condoms out of trash cans in bathrooms after sex and inseminating themselves because they actually did want to get pregnant. Urban legend, maybe it happened to one basketball star once. I haven't Googled it recently. Uh, I don't know, but I think it is a thing that, and maybe he's paranoid. And so he left with the foil in his back pocket and he took the condom with him when he left too. So you couldn't do something that he didn't want you to do or didn't consent to you doing with his semen after the fact. You could ask him. You could give him a call. I think if 
you are close enough to someone that you've had sex with them that you should be able to ask questions of them after the fact. You can request an after action report and just be like, I couldn't find the condom, which was a little weird. You did use that condom, right? And then, you know, maybe he'll embarrassed tell you that he's made a policy ever since he was 13 years old and he read that story about that one basketball player that one time whose hookup that one time got the condom out of the trash in the bathroom afterwards and inseminated herself that he made it a policy to always take the condom with you. Not that he doesn't trust you, but he wanted to verify that the condom, the semen, wasn't anywhere that you could get your hands on it after. Just like you should have verified during that the condom was actually on his dick and not just taking his word for it, taking a look. And also as the person being fucked, and I say this as a person who has been fucked, you should every once in a while during make sure a visual spot check or feel that the condom is still on that dick. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Euphoria, makers of products for amazing sex, the kind of sex you want to have, products including arousal oil, clean lube, bath salts, and suppositories. People are literally saying things like this about Foria's products. This is a quote. I had a three-minute orgasm and then a five-minute orgasm and felt like I was surfing in a perpetual wave pool of pleasure. And another quote, we use Awaken, and when she gets on top, we both come so hard that we see sounds and hear colors. And it doesn't hurt when GQ calls you the best sex product of the year. And Shape says you are the best invention since the vibrator. Now, this is a little personal, but Terry and I tried the suppository and leave it to Foria to make suppositories sexy. They did it. I'm not sure what they put in there. I know there's CBD at least, but they have some serious love potion energy. So yeah, you have my permission to try this. I fully endorse you to go ahead and treat yourself to more deeper, fuller pleasure wherever you can find it as often as possible. And you can start with a bottle of Foria. Foria is offering a special deal for our listeners. Get 20% off your first order by visiting www.foriawellness.com slash savage or use the code savage at checkout. That's F-O-R-I-A wellness.com forward slash savage for 20% off your first order. I recommend trying their awaken arousal oil and sex oil. You'll thank me later. Hi, Dan. I am a 40-something heterosexual woman, and I recently met a man about nine years older on me on a dating site. Uh, We had a video chat, but then no comms. Weeks later, he texted me saying he had a new phone, wondering whose number it was. I realized it may have been a ploy, but I texted back a picture, and he admitted to not remembering my name, but he was really keen to meet up. We started texting and talking, and that was fun. Had a great first date. We asked about dating goals. We had a couple more great dates, really long dates. He did some handyman stuff around my house that I really needed done. It seemed everything was great. Lots of consistent communications and texting for the week that I went back to the city. But when I came back out to my cottage near where he lives, we had a fourth date that included mountain biking. And I noticed he was kind of bossy and impatient and not as concerned about whether or not I'd be wearing protective pads, but you know, still fun, all that. So back at my place, we started kissing. It was hot. I suggested going to my bedroom. He asked if I was comfortable with him 
And I, you know, said yes, thought that was sweet. Now, back in my bed, we started kissing and he got excited and everything was great. And he said, oh, we're going to fuck now. And I kind of laughed and it was hot and fun. We used protection. He said he wanted me to come. And then after a while, I just encouraged him to because I figured we had hours more time to play around. Oh, but boy, I was wrong. After he came, he said, I'm going to give you a 10 minute cuddle as though it was some kind of a gift. Now, I thought that was odd, but he had said he wasn't much of a cuddler, although he had cuddled me the last time we fooled around. Now, like about 15 minutes after he came, he mentioned all the stuff he had to do the next day, his allergy to my cats, and that he should get going. I was shocked. I, I didn't know how to respond because after all, was I supposed to beg him to stay? After he left, I felt very strange. I mean, it was like we bypassed all of the bonding, closeness, kissing, pillow talk, kissing, fooling around again, getting to know it. Like to me, that's all the stuff that you do when you're excited to have sex with someone for the first time. He didn't text me the next day either. And I was incredibly hurt. So now I don't know how to respond. He's acting like it was a completely normal behavior, but I thought he was shitty. I don't even know. Is it worth telling him how shitty his behavior it was? And is this something that straight men even do? Dan, am I overreacting? Because my gut tells me that I'm not. I don't want to be devil's advocate here. And I don't want to give this guy the benefit of the doubt. But he did tell you before you had sex that first time that he's not a cuddler. And I imagine he may have brought up the fact that he was allergic to your cats before you guys fucked that first time, both of those things would be working against your expectations after sex, your perfectly reasonable expectations after sex, that there would be intimacy and closeness and pillow talk and extended cuddling. But you were expecting extended cuddling from somebody who already sent up the I'm not much of a cuddler flair. And I assume that maybe you said something to him about you require cuddling and then he thought the compromise kind of dude think solution to the, that that problem was to let you know that he would come through with 10 minutes of cuddling after the sex before he had to go. And I'm also willing to give him a little bit of benefit of the doubt around cats and being allergic to cats because I am deathly allergic to cats. So as much as I may have enjoyed fucking somebody in their bed, perhaps covered in cat hair and sometimes there's cat hair on stuff that the person who owns the cat can't really see the dander gets everywhere. I would not be able to put my head on that pillow and hang out without my eyes and throat sealing shut pretty quickly. All right. You mentioned that he was helpful, that when he wasn't being bossy and impatient about timing of getting on those bikes, that he was relatively nice, that you enjoyed spending time with him, that he also helped you do some chores around the cabin. There are good marks and bad marks on the ledger here. There's some things in the pro columns and something in the con column. But the big overarching thing is, are you sexually and emotionally compatible? And maybe what you've discovered in having sex with this guy for the first time is that you are not because he doesn't engage in the kind of aftercare. Yes, and that applies. I think that term applies even in vanilla sex, although it is from the kink world. He doesn't engage in the kind of aftercare that you require from someone that you've just had sex with that you don't want to be a cum dump. You don't want to feel like it's a blow and go situation. And 
he obviously not much of a cuddler, more of a doer, including doing chores around your cabin, but not much of a cuddler. And so I don't want to say that that's an unreasonable expectation, cuddling on your part, but it's unreasonable to expect unself-conscious, extended, open-ended cuddling from someone who told you before you fucked him that he is not much of a cuddler. So, huh, you can tell him this was shitty. You can tell him you were not happy. You can tell him you don't want to fuck him again for this reason, that you didn't get these specific post-sex aftercare needs met. And then you can make that a condition of fucking you again if you're interested in fucking him again. But if you're just interested in getting this off your chest and letting him know that you were not happy with how he treated you after sex, yeah, go ahead and tell him. Put it in a text and tell him. Let him know why you won't be fucking him again. This episode of The Love Cast is brought to you by Dipsy. They were just profiled in the New York Times because they're awesome. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups like this one. The title of this story is They Won't Know. Irene and Caitlin are camping in the Irish countryside with friends and trying to keep their affair under wraps. But when pressure intensifies, they sneak away to the woods for a moment alone. Dipsy has stories for straight and queer listeners, and 56% of stories are voice acted by people of color. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. They also have soothing sleep stories, wellness sessions, games you can play with a partner, sexting tutorials, and tons of other classes and sexy stories that you can read. Let Dipsy be your go-to place to spice up your me time, explore your fantasies, relax and unwind, or heat things up with a partner or the whole squad. For listeners of this show, Dipsy's offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com savage. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash savage. Dipsystories.com slash savage. Do it. Hi, Dan. I'm a 31-year-old male, and I've been recently diagnosed with a ure- urea plasma. Um, I've had the same girlfriend for a couple of years now, so... Uh, Seems like she probably has a urea plasma too. We've gone online and started looking up things about urea plasma, and it seems that I seem to be running into a lot of conflicting information. Some sources say it's not that big of a deal. Other, I'm reading on Reddit, people say that they've had nightmare scenarios where they, it sticks with them forever, and I, I just don't know what to believe. Dan, what's the deal with urea plasma? Joining me to help tackle this question, Dr. Ina Park, a professor at the University of California, San Francisco School of Medicine and medical consultant at the Centers for Disease Control Division of STD Prevention, which is a real mouthful. Dr. Park, welcome back to the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for having me back, Dan. It's great to be here. So 30 years, been writing about sex and along comes an STI or medical condition that I've never heard of. I hate it when that happens because (laughs) I'm a hypochondriac. So I don't even know what urea plasma is. And I refrain from Googling it because you agreed to come on, but I'm convinced I have it. Okay. Well, you certainly might, Dan. I mean, urea plasma. So the whole name of this bug that we're talking about here today is urea plasma urea lyticum. And I hate this bug. I'm going to tell you why. 
because so many of us, and depending on the study, maybe even more than 40% of us have it just hanging out in our urogenital tract. And so it's like one of those, it's like a guest who's just there. They're really not making any trouble. They're not causing any issues. And then for some people, and you'll see this on Reddit, you'll see this, you know, all over social media for some people, it begins to go crazy. It's causing discharge. It's causing pain. It's causing all kinds Is it a bacteria? Is it a virus? It's a bacteria, very, very small bacteria. And God, sometimes when you talk about, you know, the urogenital tract, it sounds like Monsters, Inc. in there. Yeah. It's just like <laughs> so many bad guys hanging out that right. for most people aren't causing any problems. But for some people, this one in particular can cause problems. What are the problems that urea plasma causes when it is a problem? For right. So if it's going to, it hanging out. Right. If it's going to act up then it's going to probably cause for, um, you know, someone who has a penis burning and pain with urination, or it could cause discharge. And usually it would be sort of like a clear discharge, kind of like a little mucus or whatnot, not like this copious yellow green discharge that you might get with gonorrhea. And then for someone who has a cervix, then you would also see possibly vaginal discharge as well. And is there not an effective treatment for this? (laughs) Why can't this guy... Uh, clear his system of this, and why does his wife have to suffer with it too? Well, so first of all, if people don't have symptoms, there is no recommendation to actually treat this because, as I mentioned, so many people just have it hanging around and not causing a problem. And the reason why we didn't know about it, Dan, is that this is not a bug that's checked on any standard STI panels. And now we have PCR tests, and everyone out there is familiar with the COVID PCR and had a swab stuck up their nose. So same thing, stick a swab, you know, inside your vagina or pee in a cup and you can PCR that and see if that, if you have urea plasma or not. But again, that's not actually even recommended if you don't have any symptoms to test for that bug because it is so common and we don't want to be throwing antibiotics at everybody unnecessarily. And why not? Well, I mean, First of all, as you know, when you take antibiotics, it destroys a bunch of good bacteria in your system too, like in your gut. So it could make you prone to getting other infections and really bad diarrhea, for example, which nobody likes. And then the other thing on a population level, the more antibiotics we use, the more pressure we put on other bacteria to develop antibiotic resistance. So if, you know, let's say half of us are walking around with urea plasma and we feel fine and it's not causing any problems, Nobody wants to go out and say, let's just get rid of it because we happen to know that it's there. You are on the love cast right now. So I feel like I need to, mm-hmm. you say nobody likes diarrhea. I'm sure there's somebody out there in the love cast audience who does. And I'm going to get an angry email <laughs> if I didn't challenge you on that. That's true. Um, so what would your recommendation be for this caller who it is does sound like they're symptomatic and it's a problem? Yeah. So in that case, you know, they can go if they have, you know, discharge or burning when they go to the bathroom, they can absolutely get treated. There are multiple types of antibiotics that can treat it. People are familiar with azithromycin called or ZPAC, you know, which we use to treat respiratory infections. Um, there's other antibiotics in the ciprofloxacin family that you can use. So my point is multiple classes of antibiotics could eradicate this. But I don't recommend asking to be tested for it, you know what I mean, if you're feeling all right. And I don't recommend just, you know, if someone happens to test for it and didn't tell you, if you find it and you don't have any symptoms, I don't recommend treating it routinely. Are there any other STIs out there that 30 years into writing about sexuality and health 
I'm not familiar with yet. I don't want another one to leap out from behind the bushes and surprise me. Well, so, you know, the issue is, and I'm talking about people like who are assigned female at birth, right? The vagina has so many different organisms in it. So, you know, millions of, of different bacteria that, yeah, we actually, you know, in the past 10 years have discovered new bacteria that can cause discharge and that fishy odor that we call bacterial vaginosis. So I'm not... I can't tell you we're not going to find other things, Dan. But for the most part, I think you know most of the players now. Dr. Anna Park, University of California, San Francisco School of Medicine and medical consultant at the Centers for Disease Control, Division of STD Prevention, author also of the terrific memoir, Strange Bedfellows, Adventures in the Science, History and Surprising Secrets of STDs. Dr. Park, in this uh, period of flux on social media, Where can people who want to follow you find you right now? Right now, the best place to find me is on Instagram at Ina Park MD. I'm not really so active on Twitter anymore, but I'm also there at Ina Park MD. Dr. Ina Park, thank you so much for coming back on the Lovecast. Thanks, Dan. The Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for you to stand out and succeed online. Whether you're just starting out or managing a growing venture, Squarespace makes it easy to create a beautiful website, engage with your audience, and sell anything from your products to your content to your time, all in one place, all on your terms. Squarespace rolled out a new website design system called Fluid Engine. They've made it easier to tap into your creativity, even if you don't have any design experience. Start with a website template that you like and customize every design detail with new drag-and-drop technology for desktop or mobile. It's built in and ready to go on any new Squarespace site. Keep organized with their asset library. Upload, organize, and access all your content from one place. With the new asset library, you're able to manage all your files from one central hub and use them across the Squarespace platform. If you put out video content, Squarespace is awesome. You can host videos, organize your video library, and showcase your stuff on beautiful pages and sell access to your videos. Head on over to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com savage and use the offer code savage to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com savage and use the offer code savage. Hi, Dan et al. 22-year-old cisgender queer woman from New Zealand calling for support, well, advice on how to support my younger sister. She very recently came out as trans at the age of 15 Um, She came out as gay when she was very, very, very young, maybe like 10. She didn't even really have to come out because we grew up in the kind of household where you just don't have to. My parents are incredible, supportive people. My mom is in all of these queer parenting groups. She's like a tiger mom in that way. She's our champion. So she has heaps of support at home with my parents. She lives with them in a kind of agricultural farming town about an hour and a half out of the city that my brother and I live in together. So she doesn't have a huge community there. She's got maybe two two friends in real life that she's close with and she can she can share things with. And recently she shared some very concerning information with my mum, which her with whom she shares everything, which is really great. But she's been meeting up with older men on Grinder. The other night she had a twenty five year old man come over to the house while my parents were in town with my brother and I. She called my mum saying that she regretted this, she'd made a mistake, and she also admitted that she'd met up with a man from Grindr last year when she was 14. Now, the legal age of consent here is 16, which I do think is too young, but that's another thing. Um, And I've had conversations with her in the past about safety and dating and avoiding older men 
When I was 16, I myself had some sexual encounters with men in their 30s. So I know how it feels to be that age and to think that you're so mature and these older men want to be with you because you're, you know, so old for your age or whatever. And it's just not true. I was so vulnerable. It really fucked me up. And I've had conversations with her about just being really wary of this. And she's been like, yeah, yeah, whatever. But I just don't believe that she's behaving safely. You know, she's very vulnerable. She self-harms, which she tells my mom about. But I'm just, I'm just worried. I don't know how to help her through this and to keep her safe without humiliating her and patronizing her. My parents don't, I don't think they want to be too strict with her because we've always had our freedoms and that's how we learned. But, you know, I don't think they want to grip too tight in case she acts out. She's very vulnerable. I just don't know what to do, Dan. I'm so worried and lost. Supportive parents are great. Every queer kid deserves to have supportive parents. A supportive parent still has to be a parent, however, and sometimes it is the parent's job to throw up obstacles. I have seen the supportive parents of queer kids fall into this trap where they feel like they can't run interference on anything that in any way can be tied to their kid's sexual orientation or their kid's gender identity. And so, you know, this kid, not, not citing the example of your sister, but other kids I've known who are minors, who are getting on grinder, who are meeting up with older men and taking tremendous risks, sort of without really thinking it through, volunteering to put themselves in a vulnerable position in a room with a man who just by dint of searching for minors or people who appear to be minors on a site like Grindr have identified themselves as unsafe and untrustworthy. I know parents who felt like they couldn't take their kid's phone. They couldn't shut that the fuck down because then they would be accused by their kid opportunistically, manipulatively of being homophobic. Sometimes you got to risk as a parent making yourself unpopular and you've got as a supportive parent of a queer kid be able to find it in yourself to bear up under the false accusation of queer phobia or homophobia or transphobia or biphobia or whatever phobia. Your sister is 15 fucking years old and she is having strange men over to your parents' house when they are away when she is home alone. Okay. Well, she has disqualified herself from being able to be at home alone. Someone's got to be there. Mom, dad, you, your brother, a neighbor, somebody's got to be there so that she can't keep doing this. Will that stop your sister from meeting up with these men elsewhere, outside the house, in a car? No, but it will throw up a bit of an obstacle. It'll make it a little harder for her to arrange. And then maybe there will be a little less of it. And if there's less of it, maybe your sister won't draw the short straw, won't wind up in a room because she's not winding up in alone at home with as many men. There'll be less opportunity for her, less chance that she'll wind up at home with a really terrible one. Although I think, you know, all 30 year olds who are looking for 15 year olds on Grinder are by definition, probably terrible and taking a risk themselves because they could get in to enormous trouble themselves. You say that your sister engages in self-harm. People cut, people engage in what to us are obvious forms of self-harm, but some people 
will weaponize their sexuality, their desires, and turn acting on those desires itself into a kind of self-harming, self-punishing behavior. And your sister might be doing that. Or she might be having wonderful experiences with these men and winding up in rooms with guys. She may be lying to them about her age. You know, a 25-year-old hooking up with what he thinks is an 18-year-old isn't as morally outrageous as a 25-year-old hooking up with someone he knows to be a 15-year-old. She may, as some of us, you know, I was sexually active when I was 15 years old with adults. She may have had some positive experiences. I had some positive experiences. I had some negative experiences. But it seems to me that the job of family right now your sister is vulnerable, is to not grease the skids, is to slow this down as best you can. And for your parents not to fall, not to be manipulated by your sister or by you, and I don't think you're manipulating your parents here, supportive parent when you're talking about parenting a queer kid does not mean the parent supports any goddamn thing their kid wants to do that is tied in some way to their sexuality or gender expression. A supportive parent of a straight kid doesn't have to let their straight 14, 15-year-old kid date adults. And the supportive parent of a queer kid doesn't have to let that happen either. And even if you know you can't stop it from happening, you can run a little bit of interference, which I think is what your sister needs right now. And by telling your mother what she's doing, it may be what your sister is asking for. Hi, Dan. With all the talk of Magic Earring Ken lately, I had a question that I wanted to run by you. When I was around 25, I bought a steel cock ring, and it fit perfectly. It was snug. It was a little scary sometimes, but never got stuck on, and it worked as intended. It was great. But it wasn't a regular thing. It was a get it out every once in a while and have fun with it sort of a thing. And so probably some time went by, and when I was around 40, I got it out again, and it didn't fit. It was loose. So around that time, I had been working out pretty seriously for a year or two, doing squats and deadlifts and full body stuff. And I only lost like maybe five pounds in the course of that, but I added a lot of muscle. And so my body composition changed. So my question is, what would make a steel cock ring not fit anymore? Could it be from working out or is there age related stuff that happens as well that could have contributed to it? Here's the thing about steel cock rings. If you leave them in a drawer long enough, they get mysteriously... No, your dick gets smaller as you age. I'm sorry I'm here to relay this very terrible news to a lot of my male listeners. As you age, you produce less testosterone. Your arteries get a little harder. Your erectile tissue, like all of your tissues, becomes a little less elastic. And men tend to lose about a half an inch, sometimes an inch of length, sometimes a half inch, inch of girth. And so the steel cock ring that fit you like a little steel glove that was snug and did all the things, the wonderful things cock rings do for people with cocks, when you got it at 25, may not fit your dick when you are in your 40s or in your 50s. You will then have to go and get a new cock ring and gift that cock ring to someone in your life, your age or someone younger that it is going to fit snugly on the dick that you've got is the dick that you've got. It's going to change over the course of your life. Just as it changed when you were a young person, it's going to change as you become an older person and you will therefore perforce have to change 
your cock rings. And there's nothing about your exercise. If anything, you may have staved off additional age-related shrinkage by being in good shape, by taking care of yourself. That aids with the circulation and, you know, keeps those arteries, veins and arteries healthy, keeps the blood flowing. So don't blame the exercise. This is just what dicks do as dick havers get older. And, you know, if you never, if you're the 25-year-old man out there listening to the show right now and you never want to have to trade in your old steel cock ring, get adjustable ones at this age and you will be able to adjust them over the course of your life and won't be reminded by a steel cock ring one day that your dick isn't as big as it once was. All right, before we get to this week's listener response calls, I want to share a couple of comments left on last week's show at savage.love. Ted the Bellhop writes, I chuckled when Dan referred to the VR-coordinated fleshlight as a first-person shooter masturbatory aid. Okay, that caller was trying to pass off a fleshlight synced up with some virtual reality goggles as a sex robot, and I could not let that stand. A fleshlight plus some VR goggles may be a good time, but it is not a sex robot. A sex robot can walk around the room, pick you up, and fuck you. You have to pick up a fleshlight and fuck it. That is not a sex robot. Says Chet regarding the woman worried about cum in her mouth. Dan, you missed one really good suggestion. Have him wear a condom. Find the most sensitive, thinnest one. Get some fun-flavored lube. Make it a whole thing. It'll barely make a difference for him, but it could be totally a game-changer for that caller. Again, that caller couldn't give a blowjob because anytime a man came in her mouth, anytime she got semen in her mouth, which is what her husband wanted to do, he wanted her to swallow his load, she immediately puked. All right, why didn't I suggest condoms as the only gay man on earth who used condoms for oral sex back before prep? I can tell you from personal experience, it's not great. Even if the condom is very thin latex, that dick in your mouth just doesn't have the same mouth feel. If you don't like sucking dick anyway, it won't ruin the blowjob for you since blowjobs arrive pre-ruined. But if you do like sucking dick, sucking on a condom kind of ruins it. And being sucked on with a condom, that can work. You can get somebody off that way, but it requires a constantly pumping fist. All blowjobs are some percentage hand job, of course, but a blowjob with a condom is majority hand job. Says by Dan Fan, just because you didn't like them, Dan, condoms with blowjobs doesn't mean they're not an option this woman could try. Of course, yes, by Dan Fan, she can give it a try. And yeah, maybe I should have thought to mention it, but I think it's telling that as someone who used condoms for oral, it didn't even occur to me to mention condoms for oral to this caller because no one liked them. People, and by people here I mean gay men who are people, not all people, but we are people, people rejected condoms for oral sex at a time when we thought we might die if we didn't use a condom for oral sex. Men who were religious about using condoms for anal because they didn't want to die were like, eh, Given a choice between risking death and sucking on a condom, I will risk death. Turned out gay men gambled and won. Transmission of HIV during oral sex was exceedingly rare, but the tribe had spoken. We would literally rather die than use condoms for oral, which is why it didn't even occur to me to mention them to that particular caller. All right, for more listener comments and more of my responses, check out Struggle Session posted every Thursday at savage.love where I respond to comments, emails, and DMs at even greater length. It's another perk for our Magnum subs. For all the perks, become a Magnum sub today at savage.love.
And now, listener response calls. Hi, Dan. This is a listener response call for episode 876 for the gal who was dating someone who's a squirter. Uh, I have to say, in our relationship, I am the squirter, and it's, it's the problem for me rather than for my partner because I do not like laying in the mess afterwards. I think on a previous episode a while back, one of your listeners recommended the layer to deal with this, and it has been life-changing for me. It's just a pad that you lay down before you get at it, and it really absorbs everything that comes after the orgasm. And then once you're done, you can just slide it out from underneath yourself, give yourself a quick wipe down with a washcloth, and then get to cuddling. Maybe this would be a compromise for the caller with her girlfriend, where if they use this, they'd be able to kind of clean up rapidly afterwards, but still enjoy the squirts that come with those fantastic orgasms. Hey, Dan, this is in response to the woman whose husband wants to come in her mouth. I'm a gay man, and I do not like cum. I don't even like my own cum. And I dated someone who wanted to come in my mouth, and I did it, and I was surprised that I was able to do it. But the only reason I did it is because I was on my back, and he was face-fucking me. So when he came, it just automatically went down. I didn't have to do anything. The second time I tried it, it was the other way around. I was on top blowing, you know, the traditional way. And once it hit my mouth, I, there was just no way I can get myself to swallow it. I almost threw up, and he took it so personally. So if you want to take a, a load, lie on your back, have them face fuck you, and then when they come, it's, it'll, it'll slide down. You didn't even taste it. I was like, oh, that wasn't so bad. Dan, I have been listening to you for seven years, and I have never screamed, no, 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 at my phone the way I did when you told that woman to meet with the kid who stole her dildo. Do not sit down with this kid. I had a friend in high school who would do the same thing, breaking into people's houses and stealing their sex toys. And at the time we were like, LOL, butt plugs, dildos, we're 14. Well, two decades later, he's in the middle of a full-on psychotic episode that has lasted for years. This kid is unwell. And the last thing that you want to do is fold yourself and your family into his delusional worldview. Oh, and for whatever this is worth, that guy I knew, he's a conservative journalist now who's been on Tucker Carlson and been quoted by Matt Gates. And all of us that knew him all agreed that we would have spotted it way earlier if a successful career in right-wing journalism and a complete break from reality didn't look exactly the same. And we're going to leave it there. Got a question for next week's Lovecast or something to say about something I said on this week's Lovecast? Go to savage.love slash askdan right now while that question is still fresh in your mind and record it. Or you can use the voice memo app on your phone and email your question or comment to q at savage.love or you can leave us a message at 206-302-2064. The Hump Streaming Library is now live featuring five volumes of Hump's greatest hits. The last three years of streaming lineups including this year's and Hump Hardcore, a new collection of the kinkiest films in Hump history. Go to humpfilmfest.com to watch the trailers, to check out the lineups, and start streaming today. And while you're there, click on humpfilmfest.com slash submit to find out how you can get your five-minute or less dirty movie into Hump 2024. Follow me on Instagram and threads at Dan Savage. Follow me on Blue Sky at Dan Savage. And follow me on the microblogging platform formerly known as Twitter at Fake Dan Savage. 
much. Follow Dr. Ina Park on Twitter and on Instagram at Ina Park MD. And follow Shalleluya on Twitter at Shalleluya VA. That's S H A L L E L U J H A V A. And check out his website, Shalleluya.com. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hertunian and me and the tech and the at risk youth and Nancy. We will all be back at you next week with an installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading.